Good evening and welcome to the April 2022 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, this June, Sonoma County voters will elect a new sheriff. And this spring, I've invited all of the candidates running for Sonoma County Sheriff to be a guest on one of our shows. And this is so you can get to know them better. And while in many cases, this wouldn't be a particularly critical or even exciting election, I think this year's election is definitely an exception. There are so many challenging issues facing law enforcement in general. But here in Sonoma County, there are some standouts, including how the department relates to the very large LGBTQ community. Tonight, Eddie Ingram joins us, and he's coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, April 24th, 2022. I love to change the This is Greg Morelli with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of April 24th, 2022. While states like Florida and Texas are passing discriminatory laws aimed at transgender people, the Maryland General Assembly is one step closer to codifying anti-discrimination protections for all students in all grades, which will now include sexual orientation and gender identity. The legislation will put into law guidance already established by the Maryland Department of Education. Known as House Bill 850, the House of Delegates passed the bill by a substantial margin of 96 to 36 in April. The legislation heads to Republican Governor Larry Hogan, who has 30 days to sign the bill or veto it. If no action is taken, the bill will go into effect on July 1st. The bill is long overdue for LGBTQ students in Maryland public schools who have faced discrimination without a clear path for resolution or protection. According to Free State Justice, quote, a majority of Maryland LGBTQ students report feeling unsafe in their schools, about 65 percent, regularly hearing anti-LGBTQ comments and experiencing harassment or assault based on their identity. Most never report the incidents, about 54 percent, or do not know how to. And of those who do report, only a minority report any intervention. Republican Delegate Kathy Saliga ironically introduced an amendment to the bill that would prohibit public school staff from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity in pre-K to third grade classrooms, calling it a, quote, really scaled down version of what nine other states have already passed. But despite a heated argument, the amendment failed with Delegate Ann Kaiser concluding, quote, it's the theme that's going across the country. It erases us because she's suggesting that LGBTQ issues can't be talked about, end quote. And here locally, last Saturday, San Francisco City officials unveiled a new street name honoring one of the co-founders of the now infamous Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The commemorative renaming of Alert Alley between Dolores and Landers Street is now known as Sister Vishnu Way. This marks the first time one of the sisters has been honored in such a way. The new sign can be found at both ends of the narrow alleyway, a short walk from the Archdiocese of San Francisco's Mission Dolores Basilica and the historic Mission San Francisco Diocese. Last Saturday's event coincided with a sister's annual Easter weekend celebration and came 43 years after Sister Vish first manifested the sisters with just a few friends. In fact, right next to the alley where the new street sign is posted is the apartment of 272 Dolores Street, where Sister Vish, known as Kenneth Bunch, and several friends got together on the eve of Easter back in 1979 and donned nuns' habits. This was the first manifestation of the sisters, which today has orders in 60 different cities, including right here in Guerneville, and 14 different countries. You can learn more about our local order of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at rrsisters.org. 
and also the vacant space where Harvey Milk operated a camera shop and three campaigns that led to his election to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco is getting set to relaunch as a collective art and artisan space that the new operators hope can become a kind of community destination the Castro Camera Shop was in Milk's time. Milk was the first openly gay man elected to public office in California and only the third one in the United States. His victory made him a national celebrity and helped establish the neighborhood's reputation as a haven for queer people. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the new project known as Queer Arts Featured, or Queer AF, will take residency in the storefront for about six months beginning on June 3rd. The plan is to use the storefront as a space for LGBTQ artisans to sell work. The back will be a gallery with rotating monthly exhibitions. Don Nicoletta will be contributing photos that show the store and the neighborhood's evolution throughout the decades in the installation that will stay up for the duration of the Queer AF's run. And finally, don't forget this year's Sonoma County Pride celebration is back live and in person at Old Courthouse Square in Santa Rosa. Events are planned for the weekend of June 3rd through June 5th. If you'd like to participate as a vendor, a float in the parade, or as a volunteer, go to sonomacountypride.org. And mark your calendars for Sunday, May 30th at 8 p.m. Your Outbeat Radio team will be talking with members of Sonoma County Pride about all the details for this year's celebration. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. The sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer for the county. And here in California, voters get to select the sheriff. This person is responsible for running the county jail and providing law enforcement services to the unincorporated areas of the county, as well as to the cities that contract for law enforcement services. The sheriff leads and directs the deputies who serve Guerneville and those who provide contracted police services to the city of Sonoma and Windsor. This June... Sonoma County voters will select the next person to lead this critical law enforcement agency and the person who will be charged with making change. With us tonight is Sonoma County Assistant Sheriff Eddie Ingram. He's one of the three candidates who's hoping for your vote. Eddie, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you. It's really exciting to have this opportunity to get to know you a little bit. Uh, So let's start out. Talk about your background and what got you excited about law enforcement. Well, um, I don't know if you or any of your listeners read my Close to Home, but I went into it a, a little bit there. Um, I spent the, the early part of my life in uh, East Palo Alto in the uh, mid to late 80s. Back then, it was a really rough town. My entire family lived there, so all my cousins and extended family. And um, what was really going on with you know gangs and drugs and uh, just overall you know high crime and in that area, it really became a place uh, where uh, at the end of the day, my mom decided that that's not uh, where we wanted to, wanted to live. My mom and dad had been married. Uh, my dad became addicted to uh, crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom had seen some of my cousins go to juvenile hall and, and things like that. So she decided to move and um, we moved to Florida. I lived there for a couple of years. And uh, unfortunately my mom uh, contracted breast cancer Mm. And so I went to go live in uh, Oklahoma with some relatives there. Uh, neighborhood I lived in in Oklahoma was uh, pretty close to the neighborhood in uh, East Palo Alto. So it wasn't much of a change there. But my mom, thankfully, uh, recovered. And we spent a couple more years in Florida. And then we moved back here to California uh, just before I went to high school, settling in Union City. 
Okay. So um, did quite a fair bit of moving around. Um, uh, you know, saw, saw a few things definitely with, with, with crime. And I think, you, you know, really when I go back to, um, you know, when I wanted to get in law enforcement, my mom always tells a story of uh, when I was little and we were still in East Palo Alto, uh, that I, I saw a police car and I asked her if that was a working man. And she said, yes. And I said, well, I want to be a working man too when I grow up. So that's, that's, she tells a story. Um, I don't remember it at all. I do remember that, uh, you know, we were victims of uh, several types of crimes. You know, it's essentially getting a new bicycle every birthday and every Christmas because they were getting stolen all the time. Wow. Uh, we had some, you know, burglaries into our home, uh, you know, one time when our home was, was occupied. But at that younger age, uh, my, my interactions with law enforcement um, though I had some relatives who had negative interactions with law enforcement, my interactions with law enforcement were overwhelmingly positive uh, because they were there at the time when our, our family was in most distress. So I don't, um, I don't remember when I became interested in law enforcement. I just know that there is uh, there was nothing else that I, that I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, I made that discovery very early on in my my career too, but it was a ride along for me. And then I'm guessing, like for you, it became just part of your blood. That's what you just had to do. Yeah, you know, it's what really drove me. I, uh, you know, when I even when I was in high school, you know, I was thinking about going to college, and I ultimately did go to college. But um, you know, I always wanted to be in law enforcement. I just wanted to give myself some time to to grow as a person and, and know who I was as a person before I got into law enforcement because I really I really think that that's important. Uh, that you know who you are, you establish your value system, and you come into law enforcement with a true and genuine knowledge of the person that you are, which I think makes it less likely for you to be involved in some of the negative things that you see in law enforcement. Um, you know, I, I found that those who've come to law enforcement later in their life after they've decided who they are, I think that they are better at doing the job and communicating with people because they haven't, you know, from the age of 21, always been someone who is in a position of authority. You know, they've had to learn how to compromise and, and doing different things. And, and, you know, that's not a slap at anyone who, you know, started law enforcement early in their life. You know, there's some fantastic people who did that. That's just my, my point of view and my, my experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. So talk about your, your law enforcement career. Uh, how did, and what brought you to Sonoma County? Well, so I started in, uh, San Mateo County. I was, a, I was hired as a correctional officer there. And, um, about six months in, I took the promotional test to become a deputy sheriff. I passed it, um, and went to that, uh, the academy class right, right after and became a deputy sheriff. So I, I worked there for a few years. Um, I started in San Mateo County in 2000. And uh, there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a law enforcement patrol. We had a, at the time, there was a large um, detention uh, operation, but the, the law enforcement patrol side, there wasn't a lot of it. Uh, I had a few friends who were working at San Mateo at the time, and they moved up to Sonoma County. And, you know, my best friend who ultimately was uh, the best man at my wedding, invited me to come up to Sonoma County and do a ride along. He'd been there for about eight months. Uh, so I came, spent the weekend with him, uh, did a couple of ride alongs and my application was in the mail a, a couple of days later. So um, 
you know, I, I liked the area. I liked the department. Uh, the people that I met were great. And the variety of assignments was, um, at the time, more than I could get in, uh, in San Mateo County. And, I, and, you know, I would be on the law enforcement side for, for the rest of my career. So that, those are the things that, that drew me. Um, you know, back then, it was a bit of a pay cut. But, you know, I, that, that didn't matter to me. I, I thought that Sonoma County was the best place. For sure, me. So sure. that's what up here. So talk about the experience you've had. I mean, obviously the, the job of sheriff is an executive level job uh, and you started in a working patrol. So talk about your experience that's prepared you uh, for the role of sheriff. I worked a uh, patrol uh, primarily in the Sonoma Valley, out of the Sonoma Valley substation. That's where I spent the bulk of my uh, patrol career. Um, I worked in the domestic violence sexual assault unit. I did that uh, two times, uh, a three-year stint, and then about a year and a half the second time before I was promoted to sergeant. Um, and that was a really rewarding experience for me. It's carried on to, until today. I interacted with um, uh, Verity a, a lot uh, as they were advocates for survivors of uh, sexual and um, domestic violence. And that's carried on with me today to where I, I sit on the board of Verity as a treasurer. So that was a really rewarding experience for me. And that's carried on to, to this day. Um, I, um, after I promoted to sergeant, I you know, was a patrol sergeant, uh, managed a shift. And then I moved on to internal affairs where I worked in internal affairs for, for several years as a sergeant, which is the investigator, which is an investigator position at our office. Uh, did that for several years and was promoted to lieutenant uh, just in time for the uh, 2017 Tubbs fire. So <laughs> was a lieutenant for all of about two weeks. And then I had my literal and figurative uh, baptism by fire. No kidding. Uh, which, which I think, you know, though the fires were bad, obviously, um, it really moved me forward and, you know, in leadership, um, you know, all these officers and deputies are coming here to support us. And I was really able to hone my leadership um, abilities because you know, I went from a normal um, you know, shift or watch, which I would manage you know, 12 or 13 deputy sheriffs to you know, managing overnight 100 officers and deputies, not only from our agency, but from other agencies as well. I really learned a lot about emergency management at that period of time. Um, it was certainly trying. We were working, you know, 16, 18 hour days for the better part of two or three weeks. But as I said, it was a, at the end, it was a rewarding experience. You, you know, I always say you, you get experience by having experiences and uh, that, that really honed my leadership abilities. Um, so was a watch commander for a while, and then I went to Professional Standards, which is the uh, bureau that oversees internal affairs and training for the office. So it's sort of back to internal affairs, and I'm managing uh, that uh, unit. I was the I was the um, the the person from the office who interacted with ILRO, the liaison from the office with ILRO, with the then uh, Director Three. Um, did some things there, uh, rewrote some policies, most notable our uh, body-worn camera policy to where it became uh, mandatory that whenever a, a deputy sheriff was outside of a secured sheriff's office facility, they were mandated to, to have uh, their body-worn cameras on. So I, I wrote that policy after noticing some things. Part of that um, position, uh, professional standards lieutenant, was to review every use of force case. And I was noticing that uh, the way that we were 
we're using our body-worn cameras, not mandating that they be on um, entirely uh, the entire time, we were missing the beginning of interactions with, with individuals. And I thought that that was a missed opportunity and something that we needed to correct. So I rewrote the policy and presented it to the sheriff at the time and, and it was implemented. So that was something that I was really, really proud of. Uh, a few years later, I was promoted to captain, and I then began to oversee the entire uh, operations of the sheriff's office. So essentially, uh, what people see out there, um, anyone in a uniform, the helicopter, the boats, uh, also the contract uh, city of Sonoma and the town of Windsor, I, I managed uh, those chiefs and led those individuals in, in patrol and uh, you know worked, worked in that position for about 18 months or so, uh, and then I had the opportunity uh, for uh, the sheriff to appoint me as assistant sheriff. And I, I went over to the, the jail and the detention division and led them through the most challenging period that they've ever had um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. I've never uh, worked in that jail when we weren't um, under the, the cloud of COVID. So that's been very challenging, leading the, the jail, but the people in working in a jail from every position, from the janitors, cooks, and nurses, and, and correctional deputies in there, in there, in my opinion, have done a phenomenal job uh, managing COVID within our facility. We've had uh, no deaths, no hospitalizations among inmates. We were even able to transition our educational programs to uh, being online via Zoom. We purchased uh, uh, large touchscreen televisions for uh, every module, and uh, we're able to continue that that programming for, for individuals within the jail. So uh, that worked out pretty well. I was also able to Institute a medical assisted, assisted treatment program for those with uh, opioid addiction. I'm really proud of that program. Um, it's a pilot program and I'm looking to expand it in, in the future. Uh, we've sent uh, approximately 50 people through that program successfully. So that has been something that I'm, I'm really proud of and I'm working on a, a new substance use disorder uh, program as well. Um, working through the early stages of that, of that to send out a contract to get a provider to help us with those services. So that's, um, you know, really sort of a, a Cliff Notes version of my of my career uh, with the Sheriff's Office. It's been, uh, you know, at every position that I've had, uh, there has uh, been something that's, uh, you know, pushed my my leadership ability forward. Uh, there there has always been, been challenges, you know, going back to when I was captain, you know, the Kincaid fire, not uh, very shortly after I was promoted to captain. And, uh, you know, that really took the, the leadership to, to a larger scope. But, you know, it wasn't just a shift, it was everyone um, coming in. And we were seeing upwards of 200 uh, officers and deputies responding, uh, interacting with Cal Fire at the, um, at the staging area, at the fairgrounds, and just looking at how they project and, and manage fires and, and work with local agencies um, when it comes to dealing with disasters such as that. Wow. You know, most people, I think, would look at that career and go, I'm fulfilled, I'm done. Uh, but you're applying for a job that's really unlike any other. Uh, yes. Why? Talk about what your motivation is. Well, you know, there, there, there's a couple of things. You know, when when I think anyone goes through their career and they go through their life and they see, you know, what the, the things that they can do, you know, you always look for opportunities um, to, to move yourself forward and to support the, the, either the agency or the organization that, that you're in. 
Um, I'm not at, I'm not at retirement age. I am uh, don't have any um, any plans on retiring. And ultimately, what it comes down to is I've spent the last 20 years of my life and of my career at keeping Sonoma County safe. Uh, that's something that that I want to continue to do. And I think that that's the primary job of, of the sheriff. So uh, the the opportunity is here. Um, you know. Obviously, if Sheriff Essek would have run a, another term, I probably wouldn't be in this position. I would be uh, several years older, and uh, you know this opportunity wouldn't have have come. But but it has, and I have the, the passion and the drive to continue working and, and keeping Sonoma County safe. Uh, obviously, I live here. Uh, my family's here. I have 13, 15, 18 year old children, and I really think that where we are um, as a profession is. Um, we're, we're at a crossroads in a very important time. Mm-hmm. And I believe that I'm, I'm uh, best suited for that. You know, we have um, challenges with our relationships in the community um, and especially in communities of color. And I think that I'm, I'm well suited to help bridge that gap. Uh, we're also at a transition point uh, within the sheriff's office in that the majority of our management uh, within 18 months are either currently at retirement age or will be retired or will be able to retire in, a, in about 18 months. And for our office to move forward, I, I believe it's really important to get those next set of leaders and selecting them, get those people right. Um, and I, I don't believe that anyone from, from outside the agency can really decide who those individuals should be because they're basing their decision off essentially an interview where as I've worked with the men and women of the sheriff's office for 20 years, and I know the values that I would like to instill in the sheriff's office, um, ethical law enforcement, it's number one and, and service above self. Um, and I know the individuals within our office who also embrace and have those ideas mm-hmm. as well. So as I said, I think it's important to get those positions right to you know move the office forward, especially with my first point and our relationship with the community. And uh, I think I'm best suited to do that. And lastly, there's there's been a lot of changes in legislation and, and law enforcement over the past uh, two, three years or so. And I've been steeped and involved in taking on those, uh, taking on that new legislation and incorporating it into, into our office policies. And I think that you need to be involved in those sort of things on, on a daily basis in order to to implement them. And also there needs to be trust uh, from the organization when you're making changes as the leader, the the rank and file have to trust you. And I believe the rank and file do do trust me. There are going to be changes uh, either necessitated by by me, hopefully as an ex-sheriff or by by law. And the, the people who work with you on a daily basis need to really have that trust with the leader. And I, I have that trust. I've been endorsed by uh, the Deputy Sheriff's Association as well as, well as uh, the Sonoma County Law Enforcement Association, which is the organization that represents our correctional deputies. So all of those in, involved are, you know, why I, why I want to uh, take this next step and why I believe I'm the best person to, to lead the Sheriff's Office in the future. Got it. So I want to go back. There's a couple of things you said that I want to, to revisit, uh, but let's start with some of the values you, you mentioned. Uh, you talked about ethics and you talked about service above self. You talked about the importance of the relationship with the community. Um, as you look at those values, 
What's missing from the sheriff's office in your view today that you would want to change, that you would want to shift and guide that organization toward? I think the, the biggest thing and, you know, is really where our relationship with the community is. I know after uh, Andy Lopez, the, the office sort of shrank back in on itself based on the leadership that we had at the time. There was really no engagement with the community and, you know, whether wherever that turned out um, in the court in, in the courts, whether it be the criminal court or, you know, ultimately civil court where, where it landed, I think that the, the leader of the organization, when something like that happens, needs to speak to the people. And they also need to speak to the members of the office. That didn't happen at, at that time either. And I, I don't think that there is anything wrong with the leader of an organization going out and engaging with the community and saying, hey, I'm sorry this happened. It's okay to say I'm sorry and not acknowledge, you know, you know, with, with legal proceedings happening, but it's okay to say I'm sorry and what can we do and what I plan on doing to, to hopefully this doesn't happen again. Some instances, in some cases, you you know, the deputies really don't have any control over. Individuals are, are, are individuals, and unfortunately, use of force sometimes happens, and sometimes deadly force happens. But when deadly force does happen, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I, I apologize for this situation without necessarily apologizing for um, ultimately what happens in the legal process, if, if that makes sense. Um, and what I intend to do as sheriff is look really look at you know the best practices around uh, and see where we can improve. You know there are agencies throughout the state who have been uh, put on consent decrees, um, which is essentially the government comes in and, and they dictate policy and procedure within the office. And you know in my view, some of the those decrees or changes of policy sort, sort of de facto become best best practice within within the within the industry. And, and so I really want to look at our policies, where we are, you know, use of force, um, you know, internal affairs investigations, things of that nature, and ensure that we are engaged in the best practices of the industry. And I think that that, along with um, engaging with the community and talking with the community, will, will really be something that will be able to build trust. Um, also, historically, when we meet people in the community or we have events or events that we're invited to, we send a community services officer or maybe a deputy sheriff or, or some other individual. And the community doesn't really get to interact with anyone in management, someone who is either a decision maker, a direct decision maker, or someone who can bring information to a decision maker to, to make changes. That's something that I, that I would be looking to change that um, our engagements with the community would be someone who either is a decision maker or has the ears of a decision maker. And so we get that information filtered out. And not only to events that we host or events that we were invited to, there are events going on in, in the community in, in different areas all the time. And I think that we should be attending, attending those events without, without invitations because at the end of the day, we're a part of the community as well. So those are some of the, the few things that, that I'm looking forward to. Great. Uh, and let's talk about the legislation that you mentioned. I mean, you're right. There's been a slew of bills that have come through with the intention of reforming law enforcement. 
Some of them are significant. Some of them are less significant. Which are the ones that have come through that you've seen uh, over the last couple of years that you think are most significant and important for the sheriff's office? I, I think the most important one is, is SB2. Uh, that is uh, the decertification. Um, that one, I think, is really critical. And, and to be honest, I think that it's something that's uh, been a long time coming and something that uh, you know should have been in place for a while. Uh, you see, it, you see all over where you know someone gets fired or they they leave a place right before they're getting ready to be fired, and then they end up uh, working for another agency, um, and you know that doesn't that doesn't do well for for our, for law enforcement as an industry, and it certainly doesn't help the agency who, who picked up this person who has no business in law enforcement for whatever reason. Um, so I think that that one is one that is probably the best one. Um, you know, you always hear that, uh, you know, no one likes a, you know, the person who hates a bad cop more is, is a good cop. And I think that this is something that, that really strengthens that saying and that individuals who sh have no business being in law enforcement won't have the opportunity to continue their, their job in law enforcement. Uh, one of my, uh, one of my pieces, one of my platform pieces is that a sheriff, I'm not gonna hire someone who faced uh, discipline, significant discipline at their previous place of employment or resigned in lieu of, of facing uh, discipline, whether or not they are ultimately decertified or not. Um, that, that really doesn't matter to me. I, I don't wanna take someone else's baggage and I don't think that's best for the people of Sonoma County. Um, the other one that I think is really important, it's 1421 and the amendments to it. And that's where portions of a peace officer's record become public record under certain circumstances. And in, in my view, that one is really important because based on what we've seen in the last few years, the call for law enforcement has been transparency. And based on the police officer's bill of rights, law enforcement agencies in general and the sheriff's office as well, we weren't able to to show that we were actually disciplining our um, our employees when they were violating our policy. Um, with 1421, that brings that out to the light. So people can see that we are internally disciplining people um, and, and that we are holding them accountable within our office when they when they violate our policies. So I think that those two are really the, the, the most important ones. Uh, you know, they, they hit on transparency and they hit on, you know, getting bad apples out of law enforcement. And that'll be a good thing for everyone. We're going to take a quick music break. Stay with us. We'll have more with Eddie Ingram in just a few minutes.
And that was a cover of It's a Sin, redone by Elton John and Ollie Alexander. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat Radio here on KRCB-FM. I'm Greg Moralia, and tonight our guest is Eddie Ingram. He's one of the three candidates for Sonoma County Sheriff. So before the music break, we were talking about police reform at the state level. I want to shift gears a bit and talk about citizen oversight. You mentioned before that you've been working with Alero, the citizen's oversight entity. Uh, but there's a perception out there that the, that the office has resisted that, um, or that there's a resistance in, in terms of compliance, and maybe there's some disagreement about what compliance means. But talk about how you value or how you see citizen oversight, and specifically our process here in Sonoma County. Where we are currently, um, and you know, it, be, it gets to be a little technical. Where, where we are currently with uh, Measure P, specifically, is isn't anything that has to do with the sheriff or the office itself. That is something that is between the the county and uh, the members uh, of the organization, the, the rank and file. In that, uh, under Myers Milius Brown, which basically regulates um, the interactions between uh, public employers and their employees, um, it was found that the county did not meet and confer with uh, the associations who Measure P was affecting uh, before they placed it on the ballot. So that's not an issue of the sheriff. That is a, an issue between the employees and uh, the county. That being said, not all of the me- not all of the um, items in Measure P are under under review or, or in dispute. There are a, a large amount of them that are not, and those that are not, we are working uh, with the ILRO director, uh, which has just switched to an interim director, um, in order to secure an operational agreement, uh, which. The ILRO director has with, with every sheriff. Every time there's no ILRO director, they uh, negotiate a new um, agreement, which basically talks about the flow of information back and forth from the office. So the operational agreement is being being worked on with the current director and the sheriff um, to work towards implementing those things which are not in dispute. And as sheriff, when uh, the issues are resolved between the county and, and the employees the employee organizations, I will fully implement all the things that are that are found to be illegal and not in violation of the Myers Millis Brown. Now, you mentioned that when there's a new director, they have to negotiate a new agreement with the sheriff. Is the same true right. when there's a new sheriff? Will that have to be renegotiated? Yes, but typically what happens, and, and we saw this um, in the transition between um, uh, Sheriff Freitas and uh, Sheriff Giordano, that there really isn't much to, to change. Essentially, it's, it's printing up a new one and having the new sheriff sign it. And, and that was the case with from Sheriff Giordano to Sheriff Essex as, as well. The, the landscape has changed a bit with Measure, with measure P, uh, so that's being negotiated and dealt with now. And, and I would suspect, um, well, I know that, that when I take office, um, if it's complete and it's done, that it would be that same process. What's your view generally, though, about citizen oversight? Is it something that you like, or do you think really that all of this should be handled by the agency's internal affairs unit? I think that it's it's so. I think the investigation should be done by the internal affairs unit, um, but I think that civilian oversight and reviewing to make sure that we are holding our people accountable is 
is something that's transparent and it's something that's needed. And, um, you know, people are really calling for it. Over six, 67% or so of the people of Sonoma County voted for it. And at the end of the day, uh, the sheriff's office serves the people, the sheriff serves the people. And if, if that's what people want, and that's what people believe that they need to have faith in our office, I think that it's really important that we acknowledge that and, and that we work towards that. Let's shift again and talk about the uh, LGBT community here in Sonoma County. It's, it's large, um, as I'm sure you know. Uh, what experience do you have working with LGBT folks? Uh, well, uh, quite a few. I mean, there are, are, are several members uh, within our office uh, that are LGBTQ. And so I've had experiences uh, uh, working with them. Um, and uh, th- throughout my career, you know, I've worked with a wide variety of people. Do you think that the community, the LGBT community, is represented well enough within the rank and file of the sheriff's office? Well, I, I would say, based on my experience, um, that you know we can always use more diversity in, in all areas uh, within the sheriff's office. My entire time working for the sheriff's office, there, uh, at least on the, the law enforcement side, uh, there's never been more than five uh, African American deputy sheriffs on the law enforcement side, um, and I, I know, at least from from those who who are who are open, that there are the higher higher percentage of LBGTQ members with, within our office than there than there are of the Black community, and uh, one one of my my goals is to expand that uh, diversity within the office, and I, I think for me when I when I talk about me specifically and when I talked about engaging with with communities of color and, and people in our community, I think that representation mat- matters. And when you see someone of, of a diverse background leading an agency, that the that people who are potential applicants and people who are looking at our agency feel that that's probably uh, a, a welcoming um, organization, especially when they see and they know that the employees within that organization support that leader. So if they see that leader being supported, that leader is uh, someone who is representative of um, marginalized groups. I think that that will hopefully draw people towards our organization and we expand diversity uh, in, in all areas. So to that, uh, that's a challenge right now. I mean, law enforcement is probably the least popular profession uh, to get into it right is. now today than it has been in, in certainly our careers. So what's your strategy? I mean, how do you go out and increase the numbers of people of color, LGBT folks in that rank and file so that that rank and file mirrors the people that that's serving? Right. And, you know, to speak to the challenge, you know, state statewide, you know, in 2017, we had about 4,400 um, people graduate the academy. In 2021, it was about 2,800. Um, and, you know, locally at the JC, uh, you know, 100 and uh, 29 in 2017 and, and 70 in 2021. So about a 45% drop. Um, and, and we're seeing it within the sheriff's office where we're seeing about half of the number of applicants um, than we were seeing five years ago. So, you know, not only the, the stats for the, from the state and from the JC, but what we're seeing internally as well. So, you know, really what we need to do, and that's part of that engagement piece, is that we need to engage the community at um, a younger age and hopefully turn this narrative around about law enforcement. Because I can see, you know, if I was a 17, 18 year old, uh, 
you know, kid, and uh, I was hearing, you know, in the media or maybe even some members of my family that, you know, law enforcement is a terrible profession and that individuals in law enforcement aren't, aren't ethical. I don't think that that's a job that I would want to get into. So part of that recruiting is, is changing that changing that perspective. Um, so the engagement really works hand in hand in, in that. Uh, we have an explorer program at the sheriff's office, uh, which has been on a little bit of hiatus uh, since, um, since COVID. Uh, and I was really um, involved in that Explorer pro program from the time that I was the deputy sheriff uh, to the time that, that I became captain. I really was hands-on with that program. And I think that that's a really critical program um, to, to reach out to members of the community, younger members of the community, and have them join our, join our office. Uh, currently, there are, I believe, four who, who work for us now who came through uh, our Explorer program and, and half of them are, and, and, and two of the four are from the Latino community. So that is also an area where we can sort of expand and, and do with diversity. And really historically what we've done is recruit uh, lateral applicants, so people who are working at, at other agencies, and we didn't really use the, the entry-level position. So I, I think the entry-level position is important in helping you craft what you want your agency to look like. Um, additionally, we our detention division is uh, historically has been and still is to this day more diverse than our law enforcement division. So I would like to focus time in recruiting from our detention division to bolster our, our law enforcement diversity. We have a lot of good people that we've lost over the past few years because that pipeline from detention to law enforcement wasn't wide enough. And we've lost females, we've lost uh, people of color, uh, really talented individuals who did a great job for us as correctional deputies are now working for other agencies. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that I would like to see change and something that I have focused on um, in the past year or so. And we've opened up the trainee position for the first time in a couple of years. And I'm seeing a couple of people from our detention division moving over to the law enforcement division and, and going to the academy. Great. Um, I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier, which is engaging with the community. Uh, certainly, Guerneville has a very large LGBT population. Um, and I was looking over the Human Rights Campaign's Municipal Equality Index. Guerneville was one of the cities that was rated in that. And one of the categories or one of the questions is, is there a designated LGBT liaison officer by the law enforcement agency that serves the community? And it, it says no. What's your thought about having a designated LGBT liaison officer for this community? Well, I think that I, ideally there are a lot of positions that, that, that I would like to have, but we have the reality of where we are. Um, in the past 10 years, we've lost 40, 40 or so plus deputy sheriff positions. Um, we've lost our, our um, community-oriented policing unit. Uh, we've had to merge our narcotics unit um, with our property crimes unit, we've lost a detective to violent crimes, lost one in domestic violence, sexual assault. So we are really an agency that is running lean. I know that you probably see every year that uh, you know Henry One is is up on the on the chopping block for for cuts within our budget because quite frankly our, our budget does not increase um, with what we need to do to continue to do the same job year over year. So so we have to make cuts. I, I think that that would be having an engagement officer in general um, would be something that 
I think that we could benefit from. Um, someone who people know who they can come to if they have concerns. Overall, that that would be a benefit for, for our organization. However, we have the budget realities that makes it difficult to do the job that, that we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something a lot of uh, jurisdictions are facing. So let's go back to the use of force issues and the challenges. Um, you know, you're more aware than probably anybody of all the cases that have happened over the years that have been controversial. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that the public doesn't know, right? I mean, I had a, a good friend of mine at, at LA Sheriff's Office once tell me that people who like justice and sausage should not watch either one of them being made, right? Because it's it's not pretty. No one's going to ever look at a police use of force incident and go, "Hey, that's that looked great to me." So, how do we close this gap between the you know sort of controversial use of force cases that have been in the paper? Um, you mentioned Andy Lopez, the deputy who was recently, you know, tried and acquitted for that tragedy. How do we fix this? How do we how do we fix the trust gap that exists between what the public thinks is happening and what's really happening? And so I think that you know, really, that's why that important that relationship with with Ilero is is important um, because we can say all day that that we're doing the right things. Um, but I think it's important from someone from the outside to say, yes, they, they did the right things. And, you know, when we talk about the most recent case with Ward, um, Mr. Mr. Ward, a, we did do the right thing in, in that case. And we recommended termination of that employee um, for, for, violating our, for violating our policy. Uh, where it ended up in, in the criminal court uh, really wasn't something that was within the, the office's control. But as an administration and, and as an office, we did the right thing. And when you talk about use of force and some of those high profile things, what you look at, and you know, I think most recently it's been um, the use of, of canine and looking at really taking a deep dive into our policy and determining whether or not we are we are in best practices when it when it comes to the use of our, our canine. So a total review of policies are what I plan to do, and also the most important thing is setting setting the expectation within the office as sheriff that the use of excessive force is not something that's going to be tolerated uh, w- with me as the leader of the sheriff's office. It's not it's not something that's expected, and if you violate my use of force policy, you you will be disciplined. Uh, that is the expectation that, that I intend to set, as well as looking at our policies to make sure that we are in best practices and, and working along with, with ILRO to, for, that, for that oversight piece. And engagement, again, is, is always important because when you're engaging with people, then they have a sort of level of trust. You're putting trust in, in the bank. And so when they have these sort of these controversial ones and we do our part uh, and then it's reviewed and people look at it. And since we built up that trust, they're more likely to to feel better about that outcome than they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope that that's that that happens across the board in law enforcement. Yeah, right. Because it's not just a local problem here. No, it's not. We have a huge unhoused population, uh, as do many jurisdictions, many cities. You know, it's a very complex issue, as you know. Uh, probably the most complex social issue I think that we're facing as a country. What's law enforcement's appropriate role? What 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 should law enforcement be doing with unhoused folks? So I think 
What, what I hear a lot is that we can't police our, ourselves out of homelessness, which is a, is a fact, it's true. Um, however, what law enforcement can do in that role is we can do law enforcement. So when unhoused individuals break the law, we can, we can do law enforcement. But the, the issue of homelessness is really a wide overarching um, issue. And it is not solely a housing issue, though we do have housing challenges in, in Sonoma County. If you've looked at what the, the, the most recent uh, uh, average home cost is or what the average rent is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot and it's challenging for people. Um, but really part of the issue is mental health and addiction. And we have a lack of mental health treatment uh, in, in this county. Um, I have a, a child, it didn't affect me personally, I have a child who, who suffers from, from mental health issues and it has been very challenging and expensive. Um, even though I have you know, good insurance, it's been challenging and expensive to provide the care uh, that they need. Um, and, and so I can understand and I feel it personally with the challenges uh, of mental health that we face here in, in this county. And, and that is a huge part of the homelessness issue. Um, then we get to the addiction piece of it, which is also challenging and really why uh, I, I started the medical assisted treatment program and I'm working on getting the substance use disorder programs within the jail and hopefully individuals leaving our custody leave better than, than when they came. But it has to be a whole person collaborative effort, not just with the sheriff's office, but with the different entities uh, within this county, whether it's uh, Sonoma County Behavioral Health, whether it's nonprofits, um, all of us need to be able to, to, to work through this issue. And we have in the past, um, but it's always been sort of on an emergency basis, right? When we had the, the issue with the Dollar Tree several years ago, um, and then Joe Redota Trail, and it's we we spin up these groups uh, when we have these these um, these emergencies, for lack of a better term. We spin these groups up. We work together. Uh, we work on housing. We work on you know possible treatment, and then when when the issue has been resolved and is no longer on the front pages of, of the news, then we sort of fall back and, to, and do, do what we were doing in the past until we have the next you know, emergency issue dealing with homelessness. So uh, we, there really needs to be a collaborative effort throughout all of the, the stakeholders who, who have a piece of this because law enforcement just can't arrest our way out of it. and We can't continue to just move folks from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so a lot of jurisdictions have shifted away from having law enforcement be the first responder to mental health emergencies, uh, IV, uh, issues with IV drug users or IV drug use. What's your thought about that? Uh, should we should we create something new? Yeah, well, I I think we should, when especially when it comes to mental health, create, create something new. I, I said earlier that, you know, I had that experience with a child um, suffering from from mental health issues. And, you know, my child went to, was going to school and um, had come back from a recent hospitalization and the school was aware of what their issues were. And um, they were having a bad day and they went to the office and, and reported that they were having a bad day. And what happened was the police department was called and they came and put my daughter in the back of a police car and, and, and took them to the to the emergency room. That's not that's not how we should be responding. I, I think the new programs that are 
are being instituted in you know Santa Rosa and in Roner Park and, and Petaluma, I think that those are the best way to deal with nonviolent mental health issues. Uh, the the county has operated the mobile support team for years, and that was a resource that was used by by the entire county. And you know, my hope is that the mobile support team morphs into more of what like the the other um, entities are doing, and that they are the, the first responder to, to nonviolent um, uh, mental health emergencies. Uh, when it comes to homelessness, I think that when you are dealing with um, Homelessness and not of a criminal nature. I don't think that law enforcement is, is best for that for that either. Those are those are issues that, that law enforcement can can only put a bandaid on on and deal with something temporarily. And when you're not dealing with any sort of criminality with, with homelessness, there's really nothing that law enforcement can do. So I am a, in favor of those different approaches in dealing with with those issues because I think that they will be more effective in the long run. Than done in the past. Great. Well, we've got a few minutes left. Let's conclude uh, by giving you the floor and talk to the voters and tell them why you are the best candidate. Well, th thank you for having me. I, I think if you, you look through and you, and you listen and uh, to what I've said and to, to my accomplishments in my career and the things that I've done, that, that people will see I am the most qualified candidate uh, to, to be the next sheriff of Sonoma County. Sheriff's offices are unique. Uh, they're unique in that they have a detention division and they have a law enforcement division. And I'm unique in the sheriff's office in that I have led the detention division uh, as the assistant sheriff, uh, over 200 employees, a $74 million budget. I've also led the, the law enforcement side as the operations captain managing uh, all the patrol, um, all the patrol functions there. So. I feel that I am a unique candidate um, among uh, law enforcement in general, having been at a sheriff's office, having uh, led on both sides of the house. Also, I think that it's important for the next sheriff to be someone who is contemporary in law enforcement and dealing with the, the issues that, that we have, um, whether it be new legislation, uh, engaging with the community or the transition within within our office. I really believe that it is important that we get those things right. And then going back to experience, experience and experiences, there is not a, another candidate in the field who has uh, had the experiences that, I, that I've had, uh, four major fires, a pandemic and a, and a flood. Um, as I said, experiences bring experience. And I believe that my experience um, with the sheriff's office puts me head and, and shoulders above any of the other candidates. Some of those other candidates may have more years of service, but I have more experience based on the experiences that I have. And I hope that the, the voters of Sonoma County um, decide to, to help make me the next sheriff of Sonoma County. Very good. Well, we've been talking with Eddie Ingram. He's one of the three candidates for Sonoma County Sheriff. Eddie, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you for having me. And that wraps up our hour. I'll be back next month with our final candidate for Sonoma County Sheriff. So mark your calendars now for Sunday, May 22nd. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on 104.9 KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week. And thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. 
Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCB-FM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCB-FM Roner Park and KRCG-FM Windsor, Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next.